Hi, welcome back to Bullet Points. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Caleb Ayuba, Senior Research Fellow at the Nigerian Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution in the Nigerian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Dr. Ayuba received his PhD in political science from Bayero University and has published numerous research papers examining security, terrorism, and disarmament efforts in Nigeria. My interview with Dr. Ayuba encountered technical difficulties. Dr. Ayuba was in a more remote region during our call due to work for the ministry, and our connection was not as seamless as it would have been had he been in Abuja, where he is normally located. I hope, though, that you will still try to listen to the podcast as the clarity of the call gets better over the course of our interview, and as Dr. Ayuba's words become clearer, so does our ability to hear his insights on so many important and pending aspects of gun violence in Nigeria, Western Africa, and really issues that are relevant all over the globe. So please hang in there till the end. You won't be disappointed. And now my interview with the very brilliant Dr. Caleb Ayuba. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. As a first question, how did you become involved in the disarmament world? And what was your path towards your current position in the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? First thing, you've uh, said it already. I am a senior research fellow uh, in the Directorate of Defense and Security Studies in the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution. I became interested in this moment essentially because of my desire to see Africa develop. Uh, I intend to see an Africa where we have peace, security, and sustainable growth and development. Unfortunately, uh, at the point of my uh, employment at the Institute uh, about a decade ago, I observed that one of the greatest challenges bedeviling Africa's development thrust, essentially, was the issue of violent conflicts, you know, terrorism, poverty became emblematic of the African uh, question. And I discovered in the course of my research at the early stage that between 1990 to 2005, a period of over 15 years, I noticed that Africa had expended over 300 billion US dollars to service her conflicts. This was exactly the amount of money Africa needed to develop. This was the kind of exact money Africa needed to put in place the necessary infrastructure and the social service requirements to place Africa on the path of development and security. And I became very interested and I decided I should be an advocate for this amount. Essentially, this is uh, why I became interested in this amount. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I think that connection between security and development is particularly poignant for the developing world. Could you say more about the work of the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution that you're currently working with? Yes, the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution it's a think tank, a government think tank. You know, it was uh, established sometimes in the year 2000. And the reason for the establishment of the Institute for Peace and Conflict was to provide policy options for Nigerian and African governments. Policy options that will help in the resolution, in the early intervention in conflict, in conflict prevention, and conflict management generally. And some of the approaches or strategies the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution has put in place to uh, achieve these noble goals 
is essentially one through research through research wherein researchers are deployed to conflict theaters to interrogate the causal uh, issues surrounding uh, violent conflicts and then as a follow-up researchers are deployed to the conflict theaters to intervene directly this is essentially how the Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution operates. And we have, uh, like you do, a very strong early warning and early response system that uh, 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 notify the agencies responsible, especially the security agencies, in the case uh, we receive signals that conflicts are going to uh, happen in a particular area for an early intervention. Thank you. Oh, that's fascinating. So utilizing that intelligence from the Institute to uh, to create those early response systems. That's that's really interesting. Um, How do both the illicit and legal small arms and light weapons trades operate in Nigeria? Yes. uh, Okay. let me limit myself to uh, discussion on the illicit dimension of arms uh, proliferation and threat. Because if you talk about the legal uh, uh, dimension, you are talking about how perhaps the security institutions and those responsible for uh, internal security management, you know, uh, get their arms and so on and so forth. That might be beyond my my thought as the civil operator. But for uh, Illicit small arms and light weapons, uh, I, would be, I would dare to say something, and it goes like this. You will recall that, in fact, the reason why we're having this inter- uh, interrogation or rather uh, discussion is because you've observed that a lot of arms have been proliferated into Africa. There are over 500 million small arms and light weapons that have been proliferated into West Africa. And 350 million of these are located in Nigeria. So you can see a lot of arms have really moved into Nigeria. And I dare to say that it has to do with Western arms, because after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, a lot of arms were, you know, proliferated into Africa through the Southern Sahara into the west coast of Africa. And these are found location in Nigeria. Apart from this, we have local, locally manufactured arms producers that have continued to produce, which have continued to service the numerous conflicts that are beginning to evolve in Nigeria. So I think this has cheapened access to small arms. Uh, it has given opportunity for different non-state actors to bear arms. And this has continued to threaten uh, the security order of Nigeria and the entire West African region, as you know. Thank you. How do you see the illicit uh, small arms and light weapons proliferation affecting security and violence in Nigeria and Africa in general? Yes, you you, you know, uh, I have always articulated it in some of my writings that the reason why we have the kind of conflicts we have in Nigeria and even in the African region 
is not necessarily because Africa is naturally violent. No, I, in my view, uh, access to arms is responsible for igniting the numerous conflicts we have. Yes, we have uh, other conflict vectors, poverty, unemployment, you know, lack of opportunities uh, in Africa. But essentially, the reason why we have the kind of conflict we have in Africa is because arms have been made available to the ordinary person, especially the nonsense actors that have continued to threaten and to challenge the legitimacy of uh, existing governments in place. So you see uh, some government spaces as being spawned daily uh, and uh, people becoming aggressive naturally uh, because they have the instrument of coercion. In this case, talking about arms, with which, with which they challenge the conventional military and security institutions. What policies and measures do you feel have been effective in inhibiting the small arms trade and reducing gun and small arms violence? And what measures do you feel are missing or would you advocate implementing to uh, reduce violence in Nigeria? So to be sincere with you, I would say none of the policies or none of the mechanism has been truly successful. Because you can see, in spite of all uh, governments uh, have done at the national, sub-regional, and even the regional uh, uh, levels, you will realize that arms proliferation is an arms trade by extension is uh, gaining more and more appeal amongst non-state actors that are violent. You will realize that we have at the AU levels and the ECOWAS level, for example, we have the ECOWAS Convention on Small Arms and Light, uh, light Weapons uh, Proliferation, which essentially calls on all African governments, or rather with African government, to ensure that their border security management is soundproof. It is expected that uh, African governments at the, West uh, at the West African level should cooperate with each other to ensure that small arms and light weapons uh, uh, are checked through, a, through more collaboration, more serious collaboration, and to ensure that conflicts are prevented, which is why many actors uh, obtain arms. At the national level, Nigeria, for example, we used to have, during the last government, what we call the Presidential Committee on Small Arms and Light Weapons, PRESCOM. You know, in spite of all they did, arms proliferation, both from outside and from within, you know, have continued to uh, be experienced. Arms manufacturing at the local level has not abated. Uh, with regards to uh, what I think would be, should be done, the gap, the missing gap, you know, that makes feeling for me is uh, the Nigerian government must do all in its power to ensure that her border security management regime, you know, is, is, is made, is strengthened. The mechanism for ensuring the inflow and the outflow of uh, 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 illicit uh, arms must be, uh, uh, must be strengthened. 
uh, talking about the customs here, the immigration, the police services, Nigeria has been compartmentalized by criminal actors. If you talk about the northeast of Nigeria, you will notice the Boko Haram is holding its way. In North Central Nigeria, we have the farmer hada conflict. In Northwest Nigeria, we have what we are generally referring to presently as terror banditry. In Southwest Nigeria, we have criminal cult groups. For me, it is essentially because they have access, cheap access to small arms and light weapons, sophisticated, such that they feel they can compete with the legitimate national government in place. So, except Nigeria and her government uh, uh, are by ensuring that her border security management is strengthened and the borders are secured, uh, we are yet to see the end of this challenge. Because as I speak with you about Nigeria's uh, border by official recording, it's not more than 100, but we have over a thousand illegal entries in Nigeria. So you can see uh, Nigeria is under a lot of threats uh, from renegade elements from the Central Sahara, from Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, and even up north. Libya and across Mediterranean. So, except we secure, or Nigerian government secure support, uh, this problem will persist. Thank you. You, uh, you brought up just now that farmer herdsman conflict, and I wanted to ask you directly about it. Um, first of all, you know, what is the farmer herdsman conflict in Nigeria, but also how does it affect disarmament efforts and security in general in those regions? Yes, uh, the farmer hada conflict essentially is the conflict involving two occupational groups. One, the farmer occupational group, and the other is the hada occupational group. And this is caught basically by the increasing scarcity of life support resources due to climate warming. You know, the ecosystem is becoming increasingly unsustainable. And the ecology, the talking about the relationship between man and environment, is becoming more and more threatened. You know, the, the grasslands are becoming drier. The, the access to water, uh, water resources is equally becoming depleted. For example, the Lake Chad Basin region, they used to support millions and millions of people, uh, whether as farmers or as herders, has become incapable because of the depleting uh, resources in that region. And because of this, a lot of these occupational groups are pushing inland into central Nigeria. It has become the, the central Nigeria region has become the convergence point for different occupational groups. And the scarcity of resources in that region is causing conflict between the herdsmen and the farming uh, communities, essentially. Now, talking about farms, now, because of the gravity of the uh, farmer herder conflict, it has resulted in the deaths of tens and of thousands of people in the region. Uh, I'm telling you about something that is very, very there, something that is very, very uh, serious. 
in the North Central region. All of these have uh, begun or have uh, increased their search for weapons with which to fight their wars. Because for them, it is a life, it is, it is, it is, it is a war, it's a fight for survival. If you, if you don't fight, you are killed. If you, don't, if you don't fight, you don't have access to life support resources. So for each of these groups, uh, this conflict is something they cannot do anything about. Their cattle must survive, talking about herders, and the farmers must farm as well. So you can see the challenges we're having. And as for the implication of this conflict on uh, small arms uh, proliferation, you will discover that this conflict is likely responsible for why arms have been poured into Nigeria from different regions, talking about Niger, uh, Chad, Cameroon, Burkina Faso, Mali, and other conflict zones. You know, they are continuing to pour arms into Nigeria to help in the war, in, in support of their kinsmen, whether as herdsmen or as uh, farmers. Uh, whomever you identify is uh, more closely knitted to you, you seem to pour arms to the same people. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, of course, about another conflict uh, in Nigeria, that with um, Boko Haram. Uh, what methods and strategies do you feel could be implemented to combat Boko Haram and improve security in Nigeria? And I wanted to ask you in particular about your paper on intelligence and how that could be utilized. Okay, Sebastian, you, you, you know, uh, the Boko Haram has declared war on the Nigerian state. Uh, this conflict has been ongoing for a decade and a half today. And uh, it's very devastating. They have killed hundreds of thousands of people, displaced over two million people, both as IDPs and as refugees across the Nigerian borders. They have hoisted their flags, you know, thereby threatening the sovereignty and the legitimacy of the Nigerian state as an entity in the international community. And if uh, we agree that this is war, then we must, uh, the Nigerian government must see it as war. And war is the business of identifying your enemy and putting him permanently out of business. Uh, unfortunately, the Nigerian state does not seem to appreciate the gravity of the threat of the Boko Haram uh, in the sense that uh, for a very long time, uh, the Nigerian state was not willing to fully engage with Boko Haram until they were declared a terrorist organization. Even as we speak, I don't see much commitment on the part of the political elites of Nigeria to fight or to eliminate the menace of the Boko Haram. But if we agree it is war, then we must deploy all kinetic measures, the hard approach to containing any threat against the state. And in this context, I feel the military should do all they can, you know, to ensure that they cut the uh, resource support, uh, resource uh, chain of the Boko Haram, talking about their financing, 
how they are financed. We must make sure we identify them. Luckily, the United Arab Emirates have given us a list of some of the uh, uh, supporters of terrorism in Nigeria. We must go after those and ensure that they reveal to us the depth of their operations in Nigeria. The Nigerian government has not done this. And for me, it's, in, it's an indictment of the Nigerian state. Furthermore, the food supply of Boko Haram must be caught cut off. After all, we have a very formidable air force that can control the aerial operation of the engagement. If the Nigerian state has this advantage, there's no reason why we cannot disembase and put the Boko Haram out of business. And for those that are willing to surrender sincerely, in my view, should be considered, we must, because some of the causes of the Boko Haram insurgency in Northeast Nigeria pertains to uh, human security deficits. People are poor, as I said earlier. People are hungry. You know, people are unemployed. Governance deficit in general. Trying to answer this question of what to do about these conflicts, could you speak about your research on peace building and particularly civilian and military relationships in these conflict areas and how that could perhaps be a tool of disarmament in uh, you know, the fight against Boko Haram or the farmer herdsman conflict? Yes, uh, even though I've hinted at it, uh, earlier, but uh, let me uh, uh, discuss some more about it. Yeah, like, you know, uh, peace building essentially is a comprehensive strategy that uh, desires the institution of peace and public stability, talking about public order in society. Now, having said this, uh, this approach, the peace, uh, the civil military uh, relations in peace building uh, operates on the assumption that if we agree that you don't get peace by simply desiring it, you must build it. And if you must work towards achieving it, it suggests simply that all stakeholders, all actors must be brought on board to collaboratively work towards achieving the desired goal of instituting peace and uh, causing a transition from a conflict society to a post-conflict society that prepares you for uh, uh, sustainable development ultimately. Now, having said this, uh, like I keep telling you, I am pro-military approach in, in peace building. Uh, nevertheless, uh, if the military must succeed, it must collaborate with the civil population. This is the understanding. Because like we said earlier, this is asymmetric warfare. This is non-conventional warfare. And if it is non-conventional, it means it is a conflict that unfolds within communities. Uh, and except you have precise data except you have precise uh, information and intelligence, we want to avoid collateral damage. And the best way to do it is to work with the civil 
population in communities to help you identify uh, uh, the location of belligerents, belligerent non-state actors, to help you identify uh, everything that concerns them uh, so that you could be victorious in your engagement. Now, having said this, how does the military, since the military is a structured institution, is detached from the civil space, the, the environment of operation of the military is quite distinct from the uh, environment of operation of the civil space. They are two different entities, talking about the military and the civil population. Now, how do you, how the military, since he's always armed, since the military is an armed uh, entity, and therefore uh, 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 seemingly in opposition to the civil population, what would the military do in this context to win the heart of the population? Because except you win the heart of the population, this intelligence that is so critical to fighting uh, uh, the insurgency of Boko Haram will not succeed. Now, if this is the case, then we recommend that the military must be perceived or conceived by the civil population as being a friendly entity. Because except the military wins the heart and the mind of the civil population, there will be no synergy there will be no collaboration towards the achievement of the goal of instituting peace in society. So we recommend that there should be mutual respect between the civil population and the military institution. The system where the military brutalizes, as is common in the Nigerian context, the civil population must cease. It must cease. Secondly, we recommend that the civil population must see the military, you know, interested in their affairs. For example, they must allow the civil the military must allow the civil population to access the medical facilities in moments of uh, complex emergencies. They must allow them to, or they must be seen to be interested in the education of their children. During, 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 during natural disasters, for example, during floodings, earthquakes, and so on and so on, we must see the military on ground, helping the civil population. If they want to win the heart of the civil population, if the military can do some of these things, we recommend in our applications that perhaps the civil population will begin to trust the military and at that point, there could be there could be mutual, you know, collaboration towards enriching uh, the culture of peace in society. If the military can win the trust of the civil population, then the most critical uh, uh, element of any war, which is intelligence will be easily, easy to access by the military from the civil population. This is my, uh, often my conclusion on the matter. Yes, those are incredible insights. And I really hope that 
some of what you were talking about in terms of those relationships between the civilian and military um, become utilized. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, speaking to a younger audience through this podcast, would you want to share anything in terms of how to support disarmament in Nigeria and neighboring nations in Africa towards the future? Uh, Sebastian, I, I must be, I must be, uh, uh, I must be sincere with you. At this point, uh, the situation is seemingly hopeless because the younger population, the younger groups, the young men uh, in Nigeria and West Africa in general, because of the highly militarized uh, West African environment, the youths see arms as an instrument for liberating themselves from poverty and hunger and unemployment. Now, as I speak with you, in the Northwest region alone, in a particular state in Nigeria, we have over 120 armed groups. And each of these 120 armed groups is estimated to own or have more than 500 AK-47s. Just do the calculation in your head and you will see the sum. And their foot soldiers are mostly made of young children, small children. Because they see their possession of this, uh, what I will call in the African context, weapons of mass destruction. When in the Western context, weapons of mass destruction suggest uh, nuclear weapons and so on and so forth. In our own context, the weapons of mass destruction for us is the AK-47. And it is something that has fallen into the hands of young children between 15, 16, 17, and 18 years. It gives them an air of authority they say 18 and nobody challenge, challenge them because they carry arms. They have cheap access to food now. They have money to spend because they have become full-fledged bandits. Now for me, on how to uh, uh, change the orientation and of these young people, to embrace uh, legitimate livelihoods instead of uh, 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 arms-bearing, I feel the civil society space must be given the opportunity to function very well in the Nigerian context. And I'm talking about, in this context, community-based organizations I'm talking about faith-based organizations within communities. We're talking about a complete overhaul of the value orientation of young people. Young people, since 